Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy Thursday, everybody. 401, your start time here on the Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. 106onthefan.com if you're streaming. We're grateful to have you joining, however, and wherever you are doing so. Eric is gone, not dead. Alive but not forgotten. He'll be back with us on Monday. So I'm solo today and solo tomorrow. But actually, I'm not really solo. Uh, Made a call to a friend today after I found out Eric wasn't going to be here. And I said, hey, want to chat some Utah Jazz basketball with you. And a guy, you want a guy with memories, like a photographic freaking memory, who can bring you... Well, just detail by detail of detail by players, by games, and so on and so forth. We've got him here on the Full Court Press. It's Tony Parks, my good friend, joining us here on the Full Court Press. Tony, thanks for joining us, my man. Hey, thanks for having me, Ajay. I'm excited to be a part of this. Man. Oh, oh, wait, no, we are excited to have you. This is this is awesome. Uh, Tony, by the way, first of all, congratulations on your podcast that's opened up, uh, the Tony Parks Podcast. Tell us about how the podcast and how people can find it. Yeah, yeah, you can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, part of the YouTube. And that's how our show is going today. Uh, We have just lost Tony Parks. Uh, We'll have him call back here in just a moment. And... uh uh, And we'll uh, we'll get him back on the air. Tony's going to chat with us about the Utah Jazz uh, and and what he's learned... uh, And what he's learned in that experience of... uh, of, of covering the jazz. And so we are going to uh, ask him some questions about that. Tony, we lost you. You got, we got you again. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. I apologize. I don't know what happened. Ah, uh, uh, you know, I'm solo. So of course stuff's going to happen on when I'm solo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about a number of different things in sports. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm glad you asked about that too, because you know, we'll talk jazz. We'll talk national sports. We'll talk a lot of different stuff, but I'm going to have uh, a special segment and section kind of for you know, different fan bases that are in this state that just happen to be behind and outnumbered by a few other uh, uh, fan bases, and so they don't get as much coverage. And so Utah State's one of those that, man, they have a great following. They have a passionate fan base. They love their teams. Um, but when I was hosting a show regularly, it was hard because there's, you know, uh, you have a major pro sports team and you have two uh, fan bases that outnumber them by the total number of people. And so, therefore, uh, you weren't always able to get to some of the things I wanted to. So, I'll have the chance to do that when it comes to the Aggies. The Tony Parks podcast, again, is on Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Uh, and Tony was the locker room reporter for Utah Jazz Radio Network. And so, here on 106 on the Fan, you might have been hearing Tony Parks doing locker room interviews. Did a great job. His first and opening podcast is on Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell's relationship. Can you give us a teaser to those who are about to find the podcast of what episode number one is about yeah you'll want to go and you want to tune in and you want to listen to that because there's uh, like we all know that okay there was some sort of issue but there's some some questions specifically that need to be asked and questions that i think uh, not that all of us as fans will get answers to but i think that there are questions that have to be asked when a conflict arises that may not be the only conflict right like like how in the world do you have a guy that is uh, you know, as good as he is in terms of like two guys that are incredibly good, I think with hall of fame capability 
And then two guys that are pretty mature, pretty reasonable, you know, good heads on their shoulders, well-educated, all of that. And then there's a conflict such as something like COVID-19, which trust me, it, it certainly can, can strike an emotional chord for a number of people, including me, obviously. I've had a number of things altered in my life because of COVID-19. But what happens there, Ajay, is okay, so maybe there's an initial reaction. But for multiple months, there was a problem. And then also, it never really has been like completely embraced and, and um, I think completely squashed. It's just, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Well, fine wasn't the bar for the Utah Jazz this year. That wasn't, that wasn't the bar. And also, the Jazz had very bizarre performances before this uh, uh, COVID-19 situation came up. And they had, what, the, they're the only team with alternating what five consecutive alternating four or five plus game wins, uh, winning streaks, something really, really bizarre like that. So then the question has to be asked, was that connected to any of that? You know, whatever this is actually about. So if it's only about COVID-19, then that's fine. I think that they can easily move on from this. If there's something else involved, then you want to make sure that that's addressed, not publicly. I'm not asking them to come out with some press release on it, but that you hope that that's addressed and put to bed. Because a lot of the narrative has been, they'll be fine, they'll be fine, it's Donovan, it's Rudy, everything's going to be all right. And, you know, how much does chemistry matter anyway? And I, I don't know. It's like, well, we don't, we don't know the answers to this. But I'm here to tell you that if you have two really well-educated, reasonable people, and you have a feud like this, it's probably not over something that was completely out of every one of our uh, control, which is a pandemic, which we were really unaware about. So there's something there. And, and so, yeah, you'll want to tune into the podcast, hear what I have to say about that. I break down chemistry and synergy. Uh, I give some examples of teams in the past, not just jazz teams, uh, but visiting teams that I covered uh, where I thought uh, chemistry and synergy was very unique in the dynamic of that. Some teams fell short of what I thought they were capable of. Some teams exceeded uh, what we thought that they were capable of based on that unique dynamic. At the end of the day, it's this, Ajay. You have two great players. You have a great coach. You have a great front office. And you have this team built to at least be a light contender. And I, and I don't think I'm saying that out of any sort of uh, uh, being biased because of proximity. I, I think they have a roster that's built to at least be a light contender. And if they didn't reach that, which at times this year they have fallen short of it, and then at times they, they haven't, like the 19 out of 21 that they won. But if they were to fall short of that, uh, I would hate to see that happen. And something like chemistry or synergy can be a reason why. So you'll want to check that out. Tony Parks podcast, uh, check it out uh, right there. Uh, Utah Podcast Network, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Uh, so thanks so much for everyone uh, for listening and their support. I, and, and let me be the first to say, well, not the first day, but one of uh, those many to say, it's a great listen to. I, I took a drive to Bear Lake. I put on the podcast and listened to it. And then I actually drove back and listened to it again because I was like, wait, I might have missed certain things. And that's the things that you give so much detail that you want to listen to the, I mean, the same episode twice just to make sure you caught every little thing and it's, it's just great stuff. Hey, Tony, uh, we're, we're going to get to the 1998 Jazz team in, in a little bit just in honor of The Last Dance and the documentary that's been out. I want to ask you really quickly, in, in this current COVID-19 versus NBA season, I want you to jump into Adam Silver's shoes. How do you handle this basketball season? Do you finish it? Do you say just playoffs only? Do you do the regular season and playoffs? Or do you say, no, no way, we're going to move on and get ready for October in the 2020-21 season? Well, yeah, no, <clears throat> very few people. It's, it's been kind of a tough thing in media because it's like 
you know, it's every, everybody's trying to be so careful on how they phrase it all. Like, here's how I would like it to go. And here's how, as long as it's safe, of course, as long as it's like, yes, nobody out there is going, Hey, let's risk human safety right now. Everybody get in. I don't care about any of it. Okay. So we're, we're all good there. And then the other extreme is nobody's like, I think no season is a good thing. So, okay. So let's get rid of the two extremes, right? The, the big thing is, yeah, can you put together something to finish the season? And here's what's really tough for a guy like Adam Silver. He has to put something to put uh, uh, something together to finish the season that pisses off the fewest amount of people. And at the end of the day, my second podcast episode, which you could feel free to listen to as well, it talks about how there is no good choice. All choices, and Adam Silver even said it, they're going to choose between bad and bad somebody's going to be upset. Somebody's going to be mad about the way it's going down. Maybe a player, a team has a couple of players that don't want to come back and play for the rest of the season for whatever reason. And so now they're dealing without two key players. Uh, maybe they end up only doing playoffs. And so teams who were one game out with, you know, what, 12 games to go or whatever it was, now they're frustrated because, hey, you know what? We had a chance. You know, I mean, there's, there's going to be something. I feel for Adam, and here's what I'll say about Adam. I think Adam will do the absolute best that he can when there's no perfect. There's no perfect answer to this. So I think he's going to do best, salvage as many games, salvage the postseason as best as he can. And when you're in this situation, anytime you're in a position of leadership, you're there for a couple of reasons. Obviously, to manage everything, to run everything, to make sure it goes well. But you're also there in case there's a crisis that when damage is going to be done, you can minimize it as much as possible. And the reason why you're in that position, Ajay, is you don't mind having to take the heat. You don't mind having to take the backlash, the punches, everything that it's going to come with. The only th- So anything that these uh, professional sports commissioners decide or conference commissioners, unless it is just insanely egregious and, and neglecting human safety, I'm not going to badger them. They're trying. I mean, they're trying. If, if the Pac-12 has to shift the schedule and fly the schedule, you know, and only play conference opponents. And that's going to suck for some FCS teams, for some G5 teams. And then you've got to do it. You've got to, if the, if the mountain West has to start doing home and homes and other schools are going to face a real difficult thing because they're not allowed to play. I, I don't, I feel for every person, even in a position such as a commissioner, because they're not trying to short end other people, but they're also trying to minimize the damage. And it's, it's really a no-win situation. But, but for the NBA, yeah, fin- I think that they can get it to a neutral site, hopefully, finish out the re- uh, as many regular season games as they can, do the postseason, and try to minimize that damage as much as you can. Tony Parks joins us here on the Full Court Press. Tony, do you think there will be a college football season? I guess, I let me rephrase that. Do you think there will be a full college football season? I think there will be a full 12 weeks I don't know if we'll have a full number of teams. I don't know if all the teams will play at the same time. But I do think we'll end up with a college football season that is fulfilling. I'll say that. But it's too tough with way too many different states having different teams and different situations with different regulations. I, I don't know. Like the Cal State uh, scenario, you know, with what they're doing at this point, I don't really know what and how that's going to impact uh, some of what happens. So will there be a full season? I'll say yes, but will it be a fulfilling season? 
I'll say yes, but it won't be a season that's full for everybody. I'll put it that way. Yeah. The 1998 Jazz team, uh, of course, is going to be featured in parts 9 and 10 coming up on Sunday night of The Last Dance. Uh, I'll start with this question. As you've watched these episodes, being the diehard Chicago guy you are, loyal Chicago guy you are, what have you learned most and something different about this Bulls team or Michael Jordan than that you didn't know before? I think I've always appreciated Phil Jackson to such a big level. And it was funny, too, because so many people would be like, oh, he's not that great a coach. I mean, my goodness, you had Michael Jordan, you this and that. Oh, man, to manage that whole thing is a lot tougher than people realize. You know, there's a lot of good coaches who had great teams and didn't win titles. And Phil, one thing that made him great is he could take great of everybody and make it even better. I think I've been as impressed with just how he was able to, even more than I already was, more impressed with how he was able to manage everything from Dennis Rodman to the Scotty Pippen thing in 94, to the Kerr and Jordan altercation. Uh, I mean, just all across the board. I I like the way that Phil understood uh, how to make Michael and his system all together really, really good. And I like that uh, they broke down the situation with Doug Collins, where he sat Tex Winter in totally different spots in the the, uh, arena, rather than on the bench, if, if you will, if I remember right, because he didn't like... The, the differences in philosophy and that Tex was able to have the courage to confront him about some things that they should consider doing differently. What I thought was mesmerizing was Phil Jackson takes over and adopts everything Tex Winter wanted to do. What I think makes Phil incredible is that it didn't have to be his idea to be the best idea. Phil Jackson is not liked by as many people out there as he probably should. If you get down to the things that people should really like about leaders, winners, and those who know how to manage a bunch of different egos all in the same room. The other thing I learned was, you know, Scotty Pippen, okay, you regret that decision. You know, it's one of those moments that you wish you could have back. Well, no, here he is 22, 23 years later saying he does, or uh, almost 30 years later saying yeah. he doesn't regret it. Ooh, and then he yeah. would do it again. Ooh, yeah. That was your chance for me to be like, you know what? We all have that one moment. I get it. I respect that. Nope. <laughs> no, that was bad. That was bad. Uh, the seven-game series with the Pacers and Bulls or the NBA Finals with the Utah Jazz, which series was tougher for the Bulls, in your opinion? Um, the Jazz or the uh, Bulls-Pacers East Finals. Really? Was the tougher series. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. Now, the 97 Finals was tougher than the other two. Um, that I'll say. But people are really forgetting something with this Utah Jazz team in 98. It's so tough because when people talk about the 98 finals or remember it, Ajay, they only remember game six. They talk about game six. Mm. Game six was the exception to what the other five games really were. Game six was both teams playing really well. The first five games was a mixture of both teams playing poorly, one team playing poorly. And then one, one situation where the jazz played the worst game ever, um, that 98 finals gets remembered because of what happened at the end. It really wasn't a great series based on quality of play. It wasn't a great series based on Utah playing far below that what they were capable of. And I thought that that was a disappointing thing. When, when the Jazz lost the 97 finals, I thought, wow, they really pushed that team. Oh, boy, Michael and, and 
and the Bulls got, ooh, that was scary for them. And then when the 98 series happened, I remember thinking, wow, I thought the Jazz would play a lot better than this. I just thought they would throughout most of the series. Now, game six was, was different. But if you go back and look, it just the Jazz were far from who they had been most of the season. When you do a deeper dive into the analytics um, and just their quality of play, it just it wasn't on par with who they had usually been. Uh, whereas Indiana completely disrupted what Chicago usually likes to do. Um, defensively, Chicago was uh, – they were a top three defense. I know that. Off the top of my head, they were a top three defense. And Indiana started putting points up on them and, and disrupting what Chicago did to a much bigger level. And so my podcast coming up on uh, tomorrow – we'll talk about what the last dance will not mention or talk about or show. (laughs) And I'll show you a lot of things that they're going to, they're going to show all the Jordan plays. They're going to show Scotty carrying Michael during the flu game in 97. They're going to show, but I'm going to go over some stuff that'll really remind people that while they remember Jordan won, I'll show you all the ways the jazz lost. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad I have tomorrow's work day off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I feast on nostalgia basketball, and I think nobody does it better than Tony Parks. And you, you really do. You you, in, you inherit every detail and make sure that people see what many of us don't remember. Uh, and so this, that brings me to my next question. This 1998 finals, and you compared the two finals of 97 and 98, uh, 1997, they're tied at two. This one, they're down 3-1. Do you remember at any point when they're down 3-1 telling yourself, hey, there's a chance that we can see a game seven? Or did you think, nope, game over, we're done in six? Uh, what do you mean when it, when it was 3-1 in 98? Yeah. When it was 3-1 in 98, the score was 36-30 to at halftime of game five. 36-30, to the Bulls were, late, were winning. And I remember I, I turned to my mom. I was watching the game with my mom. And I said, unless the Jazz wake up offensively and get back to who they are, they're done. Like, this thing is going to be done. Like, the Bulls might just, like, like uh, grind them out by, you know, 12, if you will, or 9. Which, it, with those low-scoring games, I mean, gosh, if you were down 8 or 9, it just felt big, man. It just I remember just how intense those series were. Well, the second half, Carl Malone blows up. The whole Jazz offense explodes. They have one of their better halves that they had in either postseason series. Carl had 39. And it wasn't just, Ajay, it wasn't just that they won the game. They had found something. They put Antoine Carr in more often. That's Carl Malone. And Antoine's ability to uh, stretch the floor was opening up opportunities for the offense altogether. And so Jerry made a great adjustment. And Utah's best offensive game in that series was game six. It was by far, like by far their best offensive game, if you go into the quality play and things like that. The other thing that started happening is there was another thing that was costing the Jazz dearly, and I'll talk about this tomorrow on the podcast. It was costing the Jazz dearly, and they fixed it. They actually got it fixed to a great level. So Jerry was actually starting to win the coaching game. He was starting to trend the series his way. And so if that had gone to a seven, you start to feel like, man, obviously with the momentum and the quality of play that the Jazz could pull it out. But it wasn't just that the Jazz were starting to win. Their level of play and the dynamic of the way they played was changing. So that second half was, I thought the Jazz were about to lose that three to five. I was like, yep, that's, they're down six to half, but if they don't wake up the offense, 
like fast, get back to anything they could possibly be, they're done. Because that Jazz team, up to that point, Ajay, averaged fewer points per game than finals team in the shot clock era ever. <laughs> they weren't good in the series. They weren't. Um, the next year, the uh, Knicks. And, and I know. We're, hey, Tony, we're losing you just a little bit. Oh, sorry. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. You got me now? Yeah, we got you now. Okay. Sorry. I was saying the Jazz averaged fewer points per game in that NBA Finals series mm-hmm. than any NBA yep. Finals team in yep. the clock era. Um, the, the Knicks were the only team that had lower the next year. And then that has stood since. The Knicks with the lowest amount So the Jazz weren't themselves, and then they were starting to get there. Is there any? Tell me one Bulls player besides Pippen, Rodman, and Scotty that had an effect in the '98 finals. '98 finals that people don't remember killing the Jazz. Oh, Tony Kukoc. Really, Tony Kukoc, bro. Tony Kukoc made a few plays no one will ever remember, ever, ever remember. Um, and I'm going to talk about him, by the way, on my uh, podcast with the episode tomorrow. Okay, I want to hear it. I'm telling you, Tony Kukoc, that's a great question, RJ, because it was Tony Kukoc who hit some real timely threes and then got to some loose balls and made some defensive plays, just the timely plays. The guy didn't dominate. Made some timely plays, RJ, that really had an impact on the series, including, uh, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, the biggest play of that series no one ever talks about. Ever, and I guarantee they're not going to show it on the last dance. And Tony Kukoc was the start of that play. He made a play. He made a mental decision that was incredible with instinct, and and it made a big difference on the play. And a Utah Jazz player made an egregious mistake, that, like an, a very uncharacteristic and egregious mistake, and that play impacted that series as much as any other. And I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. It's Tony Parks. Remember, it's the Tony Parks Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Find it and listen to it, and especially tomorrow's episode, you will not, you will not want to miss it uh, if you have a chance to, to spend some time and stay on the couch and grab a ball, uh, think of popcorn and just enjoy. I can't wait. <laughs> Tony, uh, I know you got other things to do. Thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Great stuff from you. Uh, let's get together soon and catch up. Uh, I can't wait. Ajay, this was great. Thanks for having me on, bro. Hey, my pleasure, my man. Thank you. Hey, thanks. That's Tony Parks. Uh, Tony Parks Podcast, one of the best humans around. I, uh, you know, I we didn't have time today. Um, I'm, I'm going to split the cur- curtain open for you for just a little bit, if I may. We both worked in Salt Lake uh, for, a, uh, for a radio station, part of the Utah Jazz uh, radio network, um, the flagship station, if you will. Uh, I didn't work for the Utah Jazz Radio in in that regard. Um, I was doing some other things with the zone. Uh, and to sit, when you get there, um, working here at Cash Valley Media Group, I, I made so many friends and so quickly and developed really great relationships. I got to Salt Lake and I realized something. Your job is not to make friends. It is to do what you've been told to do and do it at a very high level to near perfection. And if you don't, you will hear about it. Guaranteed you'll hear about it. Uh, And so when I got there, I was the black sheep of the family, if you will. I I really was. Metaphorically, I was 
I was just a different cat coming from Cache Valley, and uh, I didn't fit in at all whatsoever. Tony was the very first guy to grab me and walk me step by step, almost kind of uh, through a big market because I'd never been through one and, and how to handle situations, how to handle yourself and, and be a part of this group. And he, he taught me some things or some things I didn't know when um, he was willing to just kind of walk me through it all. And, uh, and at the end, I was so ende- and just endearly grateful for him. Uh, and his wonderful friendship. I, uh, I I love that guy to death because he really, if it weren't for him, I don't know if I would have lasted in Salt Lake. I've got to be dang serious with you. I probably would have quit at least two months in. Um, I was terrified. I was out of place. I was lost. I was overwhelmed. And I just, I wasn't in the right frame of mind to be doing it. And uh, like I said, he, he brought me in there and kind of just, yeah, like I said, he walked me through. Um, and taught me a lot of important lessons that I still hold today uh, near and dear to my heart as I continue my radio career. I don't know how much longer I got in this career, but it, uh, I know I can tell you I, I've learned some valuable lessons and gained some valuable friendships. Tony's one of them. And our next guest is another. Uh, Steve Klauke, uh is going to join us here on the Full Court Press. He'll be doing this about 4.30. We're going to talk baseball with Steve, of course, but we're also going to talk about the last dance. See, Steve comes from Chicago. So, like Tony, he's a very diehard Chicago fan. And we're going to ask him about the memories and, and the thoughts he has on the Chicago Bulls team from 1998. He was in Utah when it happened, uh, but uh, his heart is near and dear to Chicago, to say the least. Uh, so, with that, we're going to take a break. Coming back, we will hear from Steve Klauke. Uh Big thanks to Tony Parks for joining us here on the Full Court Press. 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. One oh six on FM thirteen ninety AM the fan. Grateful to be having you joining us however and wherever you are. Tony Parks, thank you for joining us as well. Uh now we move uh from one Chicago fan, he's a Cubs, to a Chicago White Sox fan. Uh and he's also the uh voice of the Weber State Wildcats for uh, football and basketball. And uh I believe is it two time sportscaster of the year? Steve, am I saying that right? Two time sportscaster of the year in the state of Utah? Well, I, I hate to correct you, but it is three. <laughs> Of course you would. Three times sportscaster. Actually, you know what? I, I never hate to correct you. That's always <laughs> one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> uh, Steve Klauke joining us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, uh, a great longtime sportscaster in the state of Utah. Uh, wonderful voice and a good friend of mine. Uh, Steve, thanks for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Anytime for you, Ajay. Hey, let me ask you. With baseball season, I, Mike Trout, who is a who just loves, eats, drinks, and sleeps baseball, when he's having concerns about coming back, does that kind of make you pause and be like, man, if Mike Trout's worried, this might be as serious as we think. Well, I I think it is a serious situation. And in Mike's case, his wife is, I believe, four months or five months pregnant at this point with their first child. So he's a little more sensitive, I would think, to, uh, uh, you know, making sure that he and everybody else around him remain safe because obviously, you know, first one's on the way. He's very excited. His wife's very excited. So I think that has a lot of weight in what his decision-making process will be. 
you the uh, I guess I have to be careful how I phrase this question, but with as far as we are into the summer or as we're about to be into the summer, would you still try to get what would your amount of games be to try to get a season in? Do you, do you split it in half and go eighty, or do you try to get a few more in? What would your thought process be if you're in uh, the commissioner's shoes? Well, everything that I have read uh, indicates that they would go half. So, an eighty-two game schedule, maybe that would take them into you know October a little bit further, maybe even into November as far as uh, the major league schedule is concerned. At what point they do they have to make a decision? I don't know, but I would have to think that it's pretty soon because they're talking about probably needing a, a, a three- to four-week uh, spring training, which more for the pitchers than I think for the position players, but uh, that length of time they need to stretch the starting pitchers out as best as possible. So I would think uh, uh, they would have to make a, a decision rather soon, maybe have a spring training begin in, uh, in mid-June and then get the season started around the 4th of July. So you kind of answered it, but I just want to clarify. What, how much time would a baseball player need to get ready for an 80-game season? I think, it, first of all, I think it's a little bit shorter because they did have half of a spring training earlier this year during the normal time. So I would think position players could be ready in, in two to three weeks, but I think pitchers may be a, a little bit longer than that. Uh, it, with <laughs> So there'd be no all-star break then? Uh, no, no, there's no no All Star break. Uh, they would probably find a way to take uh, one of these series that was uh, missed early in the season and place it in that spot. You know, there's so many different uh, scenarios that I've seen so far. One would have, you know, the major leagues have uh, at, you know ten teams in Arizona, ten in Texas, ten in uh, Florida, and, and have three leagues uh, with mixing up of a division. So like the White Sox and Cubs would be together, the Angels and Dodgers would be together, Yankees and Mets to be together. But I've also seen it where they would uh, still use their home ballparks and just play within the division. So the Angels, mm-hmm. for example, would only play Texas, Oakland, uh, and Seattle. With no fans being at the games, how different would a baseball game feel? I know you've been through a lot of experiences, but no fans in a stadium at a Major League Baseball game would have to be different in so many ways and maybe something for players to get used to, correct? I would think in some cases they would, but if you play for the Miami Marlins, it would it'd be business as usual, so it wouldn't take them very long at all to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite park you've been to? Boy, it, it, uh, of, the, of the new parks that are in existence right now, my favorite is uh, PNC Park in Pittsburgh. I, I had a chance to go there two or three years ago, and it was uh, it, it had everything that you wanted and then some a little bit of uh, modern with a little bit of throwback. It's definitely uh, the best. Uh, I, I, as far as a, a dome or a sliding roof, I have to go with Seattle just because, uh, you know, it's a great situation. The roof is uh, about 20 feet, I think, above the top of the stand, so you still get the same temperature as it is outside. And and obviously having a chance to do my first major league games uh, in Seattle, so I have a a favorite there. And as far as the the throwbacks are concerned, uh, uh, even though it doesn't exist anymore, uh, my favorite growing up, obviously, Old Comiskey Park in Chicago. Uh, In fact, you took the question out of me, but I remember – when I was, uh, you know, over in Salt Lake and you had got the call that you'd be calling your first Major League game, can you recount that experience and, and the emotion and what that was like for you? Well, I, I knew that it was a possibility, and uh, and 
one day, as I like to do, I was going for a walk along the waterfront in Tacoma, and uh, Tim Mead, then the uh, vice president of communications for the Angels, now the president of the Hall of Fame, uh, uh, gave me a call and uh, and uh, said he had cleared it with everybody would you be interested in uh, in doing a three game series filling in for Terry Smith who was going to a family wedding uh for a three game series in Seattle and uh, quite frankly uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest I, I I broke down in tears it was uh, you know a, a dream come true yes I had done a couple of innings and a couple of games for the Toronto Blue Jays but the angel situation was such that you got to do the play by play for every inning of, of all three games uh, of a series and working with a, a pros pro and in, in, uh, the former major league pitcher mark langston it was uh, it was just an overwhelming experience and then getting to the ballpark that first game in seattle as usual i was there like five and a half hours before game time put my stuff down on the counter surveyed what was then known as safeco field and uh, said okay i feel comfortable this is where i belong got ready for the game, had the meeting uh, beforehand with the Mike Sosha, and uh, no nerves whatsoever. It really felt good. And then two minutes before I got on the air, Mark Gubasaw, the former Kansas City and Angels pitcher who does the analysis work on the television side for the Angels, stuck his head in the booth and gave me the uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen to Peter Graves, we're all <laughs> counting on you speech from airplane. Which cracked me up, and so that was a you know a great a great experience, great uh, three game series. The Angels swept, and uh, they won the first game of the second series. I did that following July uh, in Baltimore, and at that point, uh, Sosha, who's somewhat of a, a superstitious guy, was uh, wondering if there was a way that they could uh, keep me up there. As a matter of fact, uh, when they lost on that Saturday in Baltimore for the first time on Sunday morning. I walked up towards him, and he goes, well, you just suffered your first loss, so uh, you're nothing special anymore. Now you're, just, now you're just one of the guys, and I said, I'll take it. Did you learn anything from the first time, I mean, in Seattle, and then going to Baltimore and calling the game? Did you do anything different and say, you know what, next time I get the call, I'm going to do this different to make the broadcast better? I don't think I did other than I was always concerned, and I'll, and he always told me, don't worry about it, it's great. Uh, is getting, uh, you know, as you know, when I do the games, I work by myself. And so working with an analyst is a whole different ball game, and I don't want to step on his toes. I want to let the game breathe, let him do his thing. And that was the, you know, I, I thought it went well in Seattle, but it was really something I concentrated on in Baltimore. Steve Klauke, three-time Utah sportscaster of the year joins us here on the Full Court Press. Steve, you're a Chicago guy, and I wanted to ask you, uh, as knowledgeable as you are about baseball, this Last Dance documentary, uh, have you had a chance to watch it, and what is your – were you a Bulls guy back in when you were young, I mean, in Chicago? What was that like, or how did – I mean, were you a fan of the Bulls, yes or no, and uh, did the experience of it all? Well, first, yeah, I was definitely a fan of the team, and I can remember going to many games in which – Jerry Sloan was a player, not not just oh my way, gosh. but he coached the team in the early '80s. But uh, I, I saw him probably hundred times uh, as as a player, and so uh, I, it was fun to meet him when I first moved here in 1991. So, but no, it, I was definitely a Bulls fan, and actually working for a station in the Chicago suburbs, I would occasionally maybe six or seven times a year go into a Bulls home game and get some interviews uh, you know, after the game and what have you. And so uh, it's really interesting to see some of the 
early part of Michael's career on the show just because you know, I was I was up, had the opportunity to to go there and, and see the games and talk to him after games back in those days before he was the uh, I mean obviously he was a star right away but before he was the superstar and there was a you know 100 microphones in front of him after every game what have you learned about the Chicago Bulls that you may not have known before uh, as you watch this documentary well, that's a, that's another that's another good one. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything unusual. I mean, obviously there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that nobody knew about that we uh, uh, that uh, we're learning now. I guess the biggest thing is uh, I, I I didn't realize that uh, they were all such big cigar smokers. Because <laughs> I remember the stories about how they lit up at the then Delta Center after they won the the championship in '98, and you know the security people were telling them to try to or trying to tell them any way to to put them out that it's not oh, okay no to do way. that in the building. Oh my heck! I didn't know this story. Oh yeah, well you know their coaches, you know the 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 longtime guys that were that were smokers, Rudy Tomjanovich, Pat Riley, and those guys would at halftime have to go outside. Not like in in Sloan's days, uh, they would do it at halftime in the in the locker room. And I can remember one time I was visiting a friend in Tucson at the University of Arizona. This was 1974, and I hopped on a short flight from Tucson to Phoenix to see the Bulls play the Suns. And I can remember on the Continental Airlines flight back to Tucson, the team was on the flight because it you know back then there was no charters, and they uh, were on a Continental puddle jumper from Phoenix to Tucson, I think, to Albuquerque, and then finally to Houston for their game the next day. And I can remember back then when you people were able to smoke on the plane in certain sections that uh, you know the majority of the team were back there puffing away. <laughs> uh. See, the first time I met you, I was just in awe. Like, I, you're supposed to, you know, be professional when you meet somebody and shake their hand, look them in the eye. But I was just in awe. I was meeting Steve Klauke, the Steve Klauke. <laughs> Have you ever met someone and thought, oh, my gosh, I'm actually sitting and having a conversation with this guy? Probably there's two that come to mind. One was uh, the first time that I was fortunate to win the award. I went to the ceremonies in North Carolina and after the banquet, I got into a van, and then one other person got into the van before it took us back to the hotel, and that one person was Dick Enberg. Oh, and uh, uh, he asked me what I did, and I told him, and he said, who's your manager? And I said, Phil Roof. And he told me a story right away about how he and Don Drysdale were broadcasting Angels games, and uh, they were in Milwaukee and went up to Phil and said, boy, you must be popular here because you can't even be booed. <laughs> Bill goes, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it says right here on top of the dugout, please refrain from getting on roof. <laughs> and then uh, in 98, when the Bulls played the Jazz in the finals, that was the year that uh, uh, Marv Albert was suspended for his off-the-court antics. Mm. And so Bob Costas was doing the, uh, the play-by-play uh, for NBC that year. And uh, between games one and two, I had been given a call saying, hey, uh, Bob and his group would like 10 tickets to the buzz game that night. And he said, I said, sure, would, would Mr. Costas be willing to join me on the air for an inning? And they said, sure. Well, third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning rolls around, and no Costas, turns out no Costas, no group of 10. They never showed up. But in the sixth inning, my door opened to the booth, and I'm wondering, well, who's op- opening the door in the middle of an inning? I look over my shoulder, and it's Brent Musburger. 
And uh, at the inning ends, I introduced myself, and he goes, yeah, Steve, I was driving back from Park City listening to the game, so I thought I'd stop by and say hi. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I said, would you join me on the air? And he said, sure. I, <laughs> I promise that I won't tell the story. When he made the move from radio and newspaper work in Chicago to television to play up his Montana upbringing, they made him wear a denim shirt and a bolo tie on the 10 o'clock news. What? Yes. And he laughed and he said, I didn't think anybody remembered that. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you say, hey, I remember hearing a story, and maybe I'm wrong. This has been some time ago. Didn't you meet Marv Albert later on, though, at some point? In your... Yes, I was, the, the, the uh, bees were playing in Oklahoma City. Yes. And I was having uh, breakfast with Brian Davis, who was then the uh, Thunders TV broadcaster, who I had known from his Chicago radio days when I was back uh, in the Midwest. And uh, at one point, uh, Marv was in the restaurant having breakfast, and he walked over to say hi to Brian, and so then Brian introduced me to him. With all these games, uh, or I guess with no baseball going on, but classic baseball games being shown on TV, have you had a chance to sit down and watch those, or are you interested in all in those? Uh, I probably would see and watch some of it, but uh, due to circumstances beyond my control, I've had to cut back my direct TV package so I don't get any sports. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not missing a ton. No, but, no. I mean, I was watching the 94, I believe it was the 94 All-Star game, and I was, I think Cal Ripken Jr. was up to bat. And it was interesting because the at-bat, and I think it went to a full count, six or seven pitches, and took like a minute 45. And then I watched a game from 2018, and it took like three minutes and 22 seconds from the bat. That was a 2-2 count. What has done, what in the game has changed to slow it down so much that it's now three hours and 30 minutes uh, for a nine-inning game? Pitchers have become more deliberate, even though it's been proven that uh, if you work at a quicker pace, you, you're more, you're sharper, and you do a better job out there. But I think the the pitcher's pace has slowed. You've got uh, guys stepping out of the batter's box at the plate. They never enforce the rule that if you leave the batter's box, it's an automatic strike. I think the last time I've seen that enforced, I didn't actually see it, but heard about it. Uh, there was a game in the PCL in Albuquerque where the Albuquerque isotopes had the bases loaded down by a run in the bottom of the ninth. The count was three and two, and the hitter stepped out of the batter's box, and the umpire called strike three on him for stepping out, and the game ended right there. What? Yes. Wait, so he stepped out, and then they caught, and the pitcher threw the ball anyways? He called no, strike? No, no, it's just, a, it's just <laughs> if you step uh, out of the batter's box uh, uh, for no apparent reason, uh, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be an automatic strike. <laughs> and and that, for some reason, you know, that was the year they were kind of enforcing things like that. And so the poor guy who had a chance to win the game for the isotopes uh, gets a, a, a strike called on him without a pitch being thrown. Have you ever seen a brawl in person? A brawl? Yeah, ever for oh, baseball. Oh, oh. I I've I had a chance to see uh, there were a few in the big leagues that I, I've seen to the point where a fan at Old Comiskey Park jumped out of the stands, which was a huge mistake because like five of the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles were holding him down and Luke Powell was just wailing the guy. His, his, uh, his uh, face looked like the uh, ground beef counter at the grocery store. Uh, there's only been one uh, bench-clearing brawl that I can remember at AAA here in Salt Lake, and I think it was it was in 2002 when the team was known as the Stingers. And uh, I know that uh, uh, it all started with, uh, not surprisingly, Carlos Zimbrano, who was on the rehab <laughs> assignment with the Iowa Cubs. And they also had a guy named Julio Zaleta. And Zimbrano hit somebody, and our guy 
I think, uh, hit to Zaletta. He charged the mound. It was an absolute brawl to the point where one of our pitchers was tackled from behind by three Iowa Cubs because he was going to the dugout to get a bat. Uh, some of the Iowa players had taken Zuleta back to the home plate into the dugout to try to get him to cool off, and about uh, 30 seconds later, he's racing out of the dugout at the far end. And our pitching coach, Mike Butcher, <laughs> the future at that time Angels and Diamondbacks pitching coach, had a headlock on a guy and was uh, giving him the Nolan Ryan to Robin Ventura business. And later on, the league wanted to know if we had any video of that because he could be suspended and fined quite a bit. But the only video, apparently Telemundo was there doing a feature out on the berm with our mascot at the time, and the the cameraman zeroed in off of those guys and in on the fight. But magically that video never appeared, and so Mike was never fined or suspended. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, uh, Steve Kauke, three-time sportscaster of the year here in the city of Utah, joins me here on the Full Court Press. A uh, final question for you. Uh, I know, like we just talked about, you met meeting some legends. Uh, one of them uh, might be a mutual legend of ours, class friend, but Craig Hislop. Do you remember him? Absolutely. Any good or embarrassing stories we can use on air to blackmail the guy? <laughs> Actually, there there was a time when Craig was often used as a fill-in for me during the NBA playoffs because I would, you know, my baseball season would begin just before the playoffs begun, and uh, and so they needed to fill my spot. And a lot of times it was uh, Craig, but you know Craig is so cool, calm, and collected. Uh, I don't think there's anything embarrassing about him other than his, uh, you know, love of ice cream. Wait, you don't like? I, I swear, I you don't like food because we've had all these conversations about food, but you do these dining and drive-in things or whatever where you go to great restaurants. But I, I mean, you don't like ice cream. You don't like ketchup. I can't eat ice cream because I'm type two diabetic. But you know, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned Triple D because uh, Guy Fieri and his crew have uh, been to several Logan restaurants in the last uh, year, and the episodes aired uh, in March. Sabores, Tandoori Oven, uh, uh, Herms Inn was on. Uh, Mamos was on. The Pie Dump over in Garland was on, and all great food. Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, I was. Think about Craig Hislop. I know you hate movies, and so you probably don't know who Robin Williams is. But I always I, thought, I like, I Robin, who Robin Williams is. I used to watch Mork and Mindy all the time. <laughs> I always like when I see Robin Williams, I see Craig Hislop. Am I like going Whoa. crazy? You are crazy, but I knew that a long time ago. <laughs> Steve, you're one of the absolute best. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to have you on. Let's do it again soon. Great to be on with you, Ajay. All right, take care of yourself. All right. That's Steve Klauke, three-time sportscaster of the year. Uh, he's a voice of the Weber State Wildcats uh, for football and basketball, radio voice. He does a great job. And, again, like one of the most sincere human guys. Um, when I was uh, working in Salt Lake, I got a chance to meet Steve and, and, and uh, you know, side-by-side side with him and just a great, great, great guy. So uh, big thanks to him for joining me. And so uh, with that, we'll go ahead and take our final break, and we'll wrap this show up and get you ready for a Friday show. Here on the Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Full Court Press wrapping up here. Big thanks to Tony Parks and Steve Klauke. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to talk about The Last Dance Parts 9 and 10. We're going to get more deeper into the Utah Jazz 
and uh, and their uh, series games one through six with the Chicago Bulls. Things that might have stood out uh, and things to look forward to. For Tony Park, Steve Clark, and Maji Salson, you have been listening to the Full Court Press.